Welcome to Now Appalachia. The Appalachian region covers 13 states in the U.S. and over 25 million people call the region home. This podcast profiles the authors and publishers with connections to Appalachia and how the region influences and impacts their creative work. And now, here's your host, author and Appalachian resident, Elliot Parker. And hello, friends. We welcome you to another episode of Now Appalachia, where you are broadcasting and heard from and on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. And we are recording from just outside the uh, campus perimeter at the University of Mississippi. So we're always appreciative and glad to be uh, here for each and every uh, episode of the podcast program. And certainly glad to have you with us here as well today as we continue profiling the outstanding authors and publishers with connections to the Appalachian region and how those connections influence and impact their work. And we have a great outstanding Appalachian author with us today who is out with her new collection of short stories. It is called Drowned Town, and our author is Jane Waldrop. And Jane joins us today. She is a Western Kentucky native. She's also the author of Retracing My Steps, which was a finalist in the 2018 New Women's Voices Chatbook Contest, and also Pandemic Lent, A Season in Poems. Her work has appeared in the Anthology of Appalachian Writers, Still the Journal, Appalachian Review, and also uh, New Madrid Review, Deep South Magazine, New Limestone Review, and other literary journals. And we are so delighted to have Jane with us here today as we talk about her new collection of short stories, Drowned Town. So Jane, welcome to the program. We are so glad to have you with us today. Thank you so much, Elliot. I am. I really appreciate the opportunity to be here. Um, I enjoy now Appalachia. It's a great way of learning more and more about writers who live in our part of the world. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate you tuning in. We're so glad to have you with us today to talk about your new collection of short stories uh, that has been published by the University of Kentucky Press and or the University Press of Kentucky, I should say. Uh, Let me get that right uh, before I get in trouble with that. Um, Let me ask you uh, one question just to start off our discussion today. This book is a collection of linked short stories, and not a lot of people are familiar with that term. What does that mean, linked short stories? Well, um, it is a collection where there is either a person or a place that links these stories together. Um, You know, Winesburg, Ohio is a famous linked story collection. And one of my favorite ones is Olive Kittredge by Elizabeth Strout. And that's one of my favorite books. It really reads like a novel, but you get the story in a very broad perspective from different people who live in the area or who live in this town or who have experienced, um, have some kind of common thread. So in a story collection, uh, a regular story collection can have lots of different stories that and introduces new characters and new themes in each story. But uh, a linked collection has some common thread. So it it's sort of a hybrid almost between a, a story collection and a novel in my, the way I read them anyway. Fantastic. And your story is really interesting because it takes place in Western Kentucky and it kind of follows these towns along the Cumberland River. 
And as we kind of learn, as we start getting into the stories, uh, there was a dam project that was constructed. And that kind of led to these towns sort of uh, being changed forever. And I know that the, the title of your collection, Drowned Town, is connected to that. Can you tell us a little bit about yes. kind of the, the backdrop that a lot of these stories are taking place and what these people in these communities are dealing with after this dam project is completed? Well, as I started researching what actually went on in Western Kentucky with these monumental federal projects, um, first there was Kentucky Dam that was built by the Tennessee Valley Authority in the 1940s. Later on, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers built Barkley Dam in the 1960s. Shortly after that, and those are those dams are only two miles apart. Uh, Kentucky Kentucky Dam is on the Tennessee River. Barkley is on the Cumberland. Just two miles apart, monumental projects that really um, dislocated a lot of people. Of course, changed the landscape and the environment in a tremendous way when these reservoirs, these giant lakes rose after the dams were finished. And in between the Tennessee River and, between, and the Cumberland River, there's a small strip of land, a peninsula that runs between those rivers. It was always known as between the rivers, that was the place. And then um, after the lakes were formed and the federal government decided that a national recreation area should be built in that area and created to provide recreational opportunities and natural access um, in this between the rivers area. It became known as Land Between the Lakes National Recreation Area. So through the powers of eminent domain, the federal government dislocated all of the people who lived between the rivers and tore down every house, business, church, school. Um, this was an area of several small communities, small farmers, people who had been there for generations. Um, so to make this national recreation area, they were all, uh, their land was bought out and their homes and all, every building on that strip of land was destroyed. It was raised to bring the area back to a natural state as though it had never been uh, inhabited. So uh, it's a, it was a monumental change for Western Kentucky. And, and, oh, and, and when these lakes rose, there were several towns that were either um, partially flooded or completely flooded. Uh, and the, the common term, once I started my research for these places that are underwater, uh, these places are called drowned towns. So um, I think it's a very evocative type of, of term because it, implies that, you know, you see this large body of water, but there are places beneath its surface that, and that image has always haunted me. Very good. And I know that setting is really what kind of links all your stories together. And you profile for us different groups of people that there's a couple of core families at the heart of a lot of these stories. And we'll talk about them in just yeah. a second, but really the, the setting is what kind of connects all these stories together. And it doesn't matter if it's if the connection was based on the old towns that were lost 
or the fact that everyone was kind of moved off that land for one reason or another, that land you were talking about between the two rivers. And one of the things that you do so poignantly in your stories is show that some of us or some of them are doing really well. Some of them uh, aren't doing so well uh, after this event has taken place. And, and just like when there's any kind of disruption uh, of something like this to sort of the, the, the cultural norms and sort of the socioeconomic status of a certain community, some people thrive and some people uh, don't. Can you, can you talk a little bit about that in terms of kind of setting up those stories to where you've got that balance of people who are able to adjust and prosper after this and then those that just can't seem to uh, kind of adjust to this new reality? Right, well, I think the taking of home is a very important thing for all humans. You know, anytime you're dislocated from home or displaced from home, that's a, that's a very, um, it can be staggering for people who are affected. You know, there was not a, a huge um, or far reaching diaspora from Western Kentucky. Most people just settled in another section of say Lyon County or Marshall County or Trigg County. Um, so they stayed in that area. So these stories have stayed in this area. Families who, um, who gave up their homes have, I think it's now a multi-generational process of grieving that loss of home. And that's what I see as a, a, a native Western Kentuckian. I, uh, I always grew up loving being on the lakes. It was complete recreation and uh, you know, I loved it. Uh, I loved hiking in LBL, so I was a I was a beneficiary of all these changes, and it was only well into adulthood that I started realizing what uh, you know all these projects were for the public good. There were lots of reasons to build these dams, mostly for hydroelectric power uh, in a in rural electrification, also for navigation and flood control. Tourism is also an important part of that. But for that common good, some people had to sacrifice quite a bit. And um, as I thought about it and researched it, that theme of loss of home, that you can never go back to a home, um, is something that I think a family carries forever. Yeah, I think that's very true. And I think you point that out so well in, in a lot of your stories. And I was thinking about thematically, what are some things that I really loved about your stories and what really connected them all together too. And, and we see kind of how what you were talking about a moment ago affects the, the interpersonal relationships of the characters in your story. Uh, some couples uh, uh, get widowed or divorced as a result of this. Uh, mm -hmm. Some marry, some find new love. Uh, some uh, pass away uh, for a variety of reasons. Sometimes it's old age. Sometimes mm -hmm. um, the ambitions or goals that folks had uh, kind of crumble and cave in on themselves. And that leads me to, to one family that we kind of follow throughout the, uh, throughout the collection of stories, the Weatherfords. Uh, yes. Tell us a little bit about them and, and how they're able to sort of navigate this, uh, this new reality in these drowned towns. Yes, well, one of the main characters in the book is Cam Weatherford. And her family was one of those families that uh, they were bought out in the old town of Eddyville, and uh, which happened to so many families. The town of Eddyville uh, was mostly destroyed, mostly flooded. There are a few houses left. And of course there is 
uh, a major structure in old Eddyville that still exists, which is the Kentucky State Penitentiary. It looks, you know, it's a castle overlooking the lake now instead of overlooking the Cumberland River as it originally was constructed. So the Weatherfords lost their home. Um, one of the stories in the, the first story in the book is when it takes Cam back to the old town as a child as the deconstruction is occurring and she gets to see her home as it's being demolished and she sees her neighbor's homes being demolished. So she, this image, uh, she carries this image with her into adulthood, but her family um, takes the offer of, of free land in this new town that springs up in a field a couple of miles away. Um, and in this part of the story, I created a fictional town of Sycamore. In reality, in Western Kentucky, when the town of Eddyville and the town of Catawba were both demolished, there were new towns that were built and given the same name. So there's a new Eddyville and a new Catawba. I sort of wanted to just create a little bit of a, tell that story a little slant and, and give it a, a fictional new town so that I could just kind of run with that story. The Weatherfords do, um, fare the changes as well as I think any family could. They build a new house in Sycamore. Um, they're sort of living the mid-century modern dream of this new, you know, modern ranch house in this new town. Um, but they carry that uh, sense of loss into old age. Um, so the book goes from you know, we have a, we cover a pretty good span of time and several different perspectives in the, you know, different people who, who are affected by these changes. Um, I wanted to do that because it, I think, will emphasize the instability and the dislocation by, by, uh, you know, I have one story set in the 1960s. I have another story set in the, you know, it begins in the 1940s and comes up to the time that um, Lake Barkley is filling. It's a, he's a prisoner in the Kentucky State Penitentiary. So I've, I have this sort of um, back and forth in time and location. Um, also, I have characters living in Louisville and coming to the lake. Um, I think that, you know, there's a, there's a lot of, of difference and, and perhaps tension between different parts of the state of Kentucky. Um, so I wanted to show that to this. Um, I actually want to teach people and uh, introduce people to Western Kentucky and the amount of change that has gone on in this very small area, you know, the purchase area of Western Kentucky is, is a fairly small area. So it's been changed enormously. You mentioned instability. One of my favorite stories in the collection is called Wedding Chapel. And then we, we meet Cam and Margaret who are trying to get married. And mm -hmm. it just, I, I just love the story because and I, was, I was telling you before we started recording, I, I read that story first 
had so many laugh out loud, wonderful moments. Then I went back and read all the other stories and read Wedding Chapel again. And after I've read Wedding Chapel the second time, I realized that so much of what's going on there in that wedding scene, uh, those characters carry with them into the other stories as things move along. Right, some very uh, fundamental personalities uh, come out. Yes, absolutely. And I love what Margaret said uh, on page 77, two Bloody Marys and a plate of food improved Margaret's attitude. That's what you wrote. And I thought, wow, how many weddings have I been in where if we just had that somewhere along the way, everybody would have just relaxed and things would have gone fine. Sort of take the edge off of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. What is going on in Wedding Chapel? Why, why is there so much chaos and, and, and trying to get Cam and Margaret at the altar to get married? Well, I think there's some, you know, there's tension always drives stories. You know, there's there needs to be tension between characters or uh, people, uh, places. And I think Cam and Margaret are wonderful lifelong friends since they met in college. And now they are in their mid 40s when Cam is marrying Owen. And Margaret and Cam, though, even though they're great friends and truly chosen sisters. They couldn't be any more different. Cam is a very laid back person who grew up in in rural Kentucky uh, on the lake. She's a real outdoors type person. Margaret grew up in Louisville with parents who had moved to Louisville from the Northeast. She's much more urban. She practices law in Louisville. And they're just very different. And Margaret um, is, is a, a very judgmental kind of character, kind of person. So she's like, um, she sort of, she judges Cam's decisions on where they're getting married, which is in Land Between the Lakes, in a very remote area of Land Between the Lakes, in a chapel that was resurrected by a, and this is a true part of the LBL story, um, it's a chapel that had been forgotten once the, and it was not torn down. It was one of the surviving buildings and no one knew it was there. Probably some of the old timers did know that it was there, but um, it was resurrected and brought back to life in the um, 1990s when a group of former residents of Between the Rivers got together and asked um, the Forest Service if they, which is the, the management group, the federal management group that operates Land Between the Lakes and ask if they could restore that building. And it's, a, it's one of the few buildings um, in Land Between the Lakes. It is this gorgeous sacred space for so many of the former residents between the rivers because somehow it survived. Somehow it overcame all of the, uh, the destruction. So it's a very special place. Uh, so that's why Cam and Owen want to get married in this beautiful chapel. And Margaret's like, oh my gosh, it has no air conditioning, has no electricity. Um, there are wasps and bees and can't wear high heels. And so they're, it, I think part of the tension of the, the wedding chapel is the day of the wedding, these very different personalities and very different um, styles, you know, come to blows almost. <laughs>
Excellent. We're speaking with author Jane Waldrop here today on Now Appalachia. The title of her new book, it is a great book of collection and a collection of short stories called Drowned Town. And we'll come back to the stories in just a second. But Jane, I know you graduated uh, with your MFA in creative writing from Murray State University, which is uh, yes. in Western Kentucky. I also got my doctorate from Murray State. So we share yes. that. As both Go racers. Go racers. Absolutely. <laughs> Um, but I wanted to ask you about, you know, your career prior to becoming a writer. You, you worked yes. in newspapers for a while. Um, yes. And, and I know that I think the Paxson Company owns the two newspapers that you work that, that you uh, used to work for. Um, yes. But you also went to uh, law school at uh, University yes. of Kentucky and were an attorney for a while. So, yes. So what, I got my I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, well, well, I just wanted to know what, what kind of made you make that shift? It, you went from journalist to, to being sort of a uh, paralegal doing legal work and then ultimately make the transition to fiction. How did that transition happen for you? Well, I, uh, I received my English degree in, from the University of Kentucky, came back to my hometown of Paducah and worked for the newspapers for about four years after I graduated from college. Um, you know, I think writing is probably the common thread and love of language. Um, but I also really wanted to be a lawyer. So after four years of working at the newspapers as a reporter and as a, uh, an editor, I went back to law school at the University of Kentucky, uh, earned my law degree and uh, also met the person that I married. <laughs> so, um, and he and I moved to Louisville, where I practiced, where we both practiced law for many years. Um, so, again, legal writing is an important part of a legal practice. So, the writing and um, the communication skills are very important. You know, to be able to express oneself is important in both careers. Um, after we moved from Louisville, after 22 years living there, back to Lexington uh, in 2007, and it was during this time of transition that I decided, you know, I, I really want to write. Um, I had been at the Appalachian Writers Workshop years before. Um, I think the, the, it was 1994 that I attended the Appalachian Writers Workshop at, at the Heinemann Settlement School. So I had this strong interest, but I was practicing law and raising children. And somehow I never got to sit down and write or I never made time for it. Um, got to make that commitment to get writing done. So I didn't get it done. But once I moved to Lexington, I decided, you know, I really do want to be considered a retired or recovering lawyer at that point. I'm still licensed by the state of Kentucky and all that, but I haven't practiced in a while. So I, uh, uh, I kept hearing rumors that the University of Kentucky was gonna start an MFA program. That went on for a long time and I decided, you know, I'm not getting any younger. <laughs> I need to get started on this MFA. So um, because of my, you know, strong connection still in Western Kentucky, um, the low residency program at Murray State made all sorts of sense for, uh, for me. Um, my family, I still have a lot of family in Western Kentucky. Uh, at the time, we uh, owned a home, a lake house uh, in Old Katawa, one of the original old houses in Katawa. 
Um, so I had a place to stay when I was there for the residencies. So um, it's, it's been a, a long road to the short story, I guess, is the ultimate, the ultimate summation. Very good. Fair enough. And who are some <laughs> writers that uh, influence or inspire you? Well, I mentioned um, Olive Kittredge, the Link Story Collection by uh, Elizabeth Strout, and her, the sequel to that, Olive Again. I really loved those stories. And so I read that book, at least um, Olive Kittredge, while I was in my MFA program. One of my professor mentors recommended that book to, uh, to me, and uh, I sort of took it to heart that it's a great way to tell a bigger story. Um, so also, I love um, the work of Bobby Ann Mason, another Western Kentuckian who sort of gave us all permission to write about these places and these rural places and these very real people, you know. Um, I think for so long, so many of us who wanted to write felt like we couldn't write about the places we knew because nobody would be interested, you know, that was much more interesting to write about New York or California or somewhere else. But, um, you know, I guess the old saying that you should write what you know is true because I do know Western Kentucky pretty well. Um, so I'm sorry. And I was going to mention also um, Silas House is one of my favorite Appalachian writers, favorite writers generally. And he served as my editor for this book. So I felt like I had, you know, hit the literary lottery um, in having the opportunity to work with Silas on this book. Terrific. Yeah, a great mentor, a great Appalachian writer in and of himself, yes. and also yes. a great supporter of Appalachian authors and Appalachian. He really is. Yeah, he certainly And of telling these types of stories, you know, these... Um, story and Silas is so good about making um, characters be real not just to be stereotypes um, so he really he gives great guidance as an editor to really flesh out these characters and you know make them as human as possible the title of the book is Drowned Town, and we're talking with author Jane Waldrop today about this book, this collection of linked short stories. And we'll go back to these stories for just a couple more minutes here, Jane. I wanted to mention something that uh, I noticed in a lot of your stories. Um, a, a lot of kind of what starts every story is resolved. We talked about uh, Wedding Chapel a moment ago, and uh, eventually Cam and Margaret do get a chance to stand down at the aisle and kind of there's a moment where they, they look at each other. And I think you write that Margaret feels, feels like she's never seen anything as beautiful as she did in that moment when she's at the altar with Cam mm -hmm. and they're kind of looking at everything. But there are mm -hmm. also moments where things aren't resolved in some of your stories. And, and there was one story that I really liked that was a story about uh, a wife and daughter uh, who are missing and or the missing wife and the daughter. Uh -huh. Can you tell us a little bit about, about that story and the decision you made to just sort of kind of leave that um, open-ended or leave that kind of open to the reader's interpretation as to what happened? Yes, that story is, is called Across the Creek. And I wrote that story when I was working on my uh, master's thesis. It was one of the stories in my thesis. Um, 
I have this, it, again, it's told from a child's point of view. It's, it's told by a young girl who's just best friend and playmate who lives close to her um, in an area not far from the lake area. Um, they are good friends. They mean everything to each other. And one child is in uh, an obviously uh, unstable home life. And so the child and her mother go um, missing. And they happen to be married. The woman happens to be married to the warden at the penitentiary. And so um, I, I left it open because I thought it would be more of a, a haunting kind of thing. There's so much missing from this, this place, this geography. There's so many towns and places missing that I decided that um, I wasn't going to tie up all the loose ends on that, that there are so many missing parts and missing places in Western Kentucky. Which story was the hardest for you to write? Hmm. That's probably um, the story that introduces Margaret, the lawyer in Louisville, probably because, um, you know, I, I practiced law uh, in Louisville for a long time, so I wanted to make it as realistic as possible. Um, first draft of that story, Margaret was just, um, I think, more of a caricature of, of a terrible person, <laughs> you know, of a tough person to work for, just uh, unrealistic expectations for the people around her. And then I start figuring Margaret out that, you know, she has, she carries her own baggage of unrealistic expectations from her childhood. And as I started fleshing her out as a character, um, she was not quite as one dimensional, but it took me a while to figure her out. Excellent. Excellent. So <laughs> what are you working on next? Well, I am working, actually, these characters keep coming to me from, from Drowntown. So I'm actually working on a couple of stories um, about what might come next with them. Um, I'm also working on um, a novella that I started a while ago. And it was about, it's, it's about a woman who has to travel every month for one weekend she stays with her mother, stays in her hometown. Her mother has uh, some form of dementia. And so she does her sort of tour of duty once a month, taking her weekend to care for her mother. Um, the story has kind of changed through the pandemic because I think a lot of people um, faced some very uncomfortable situations as those who lived in assisted living or nursing homes were shut away from them and they could not be with them. Um, so it's kind of, it's morphed in a way into a little bit of a pandemic story also. Terrific, terrific. So in our final moments with you today, Jane, if mm -hmm. anyone in our audience wants to get in contact with you to talk to you about uh, your career as a writer, what you're working on next, 
How can they get in contact with you? Where can they find you? And where can they get copies of Drown Town? Well, Drown Town is still in the pre-order state. It actually comes out on October 26th. So you can go to University Press of Kentucky online and order from there. Um, you can also order um, any of the other usual ordering places online, like Bookshop or Amazon, or, and, and, and especially, you can shop at your local independent bookseller and buy it. Uh, it should be in stock in many of the um, bookstores in Kentucky and this part of the, you know, this region, but um, you can always order it through your local bookseller also. And if you want to reach me, you can, you can go to my website at www.janemorewaldrop, all spelled out, dot com. The title of the book is Drowned Town. It is a collection of linked short stories. Jane Waldrop has been our guest today here on Now Appalachia talking about this terrific collection of short stories based on uh, a historical incident uh, about the Cumberland River uh, being replaced by Lake Barkley during a dam project. And she constructs this, uh, th this set of stories around the people that are dealing with this and managing this kind of in this new reality. And Jane, uh, glad, great to have you on the program today. The uh, uh, University Press of Kentucky is the publisher. We're so glad to have you on to talk about it. Congratulations. It's really a terrific book, terrific collection of stories that I think anybody uh, interested in Appalachia or familiar with Appalachia, especially Western Kentucky and, and, and sort of uh, Southwestern uh, Tennessee will be able to identify with. So congratulations on the book. Thanks so much for coming on the program to talk about it. Really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity. We want to take a moment as we finish up on this episode of Now Appalachia to give a special shout out to the executive producer of this program and all the programs that you hear on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Her name is Pam Stack. So Pam, thank you so much for all your support and helping us get these podcasts taken care of and put on the air uh, each and every time that we are able to bring those to our audience. So thanks for all your support. We also want to remind you this is a copyrighted podcast that is owned and operated by the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Work. That's going to do it for us this time on Now Appalachia, but please come again next time. And in the meantime, stay well and see you someplace soon, I hope. You've been listening to Now Appalachia. This is a copyrighted podcast owned and operated by the authors on the Air Global Radio Network. For questions or comments about this program and to learn more about the host, Elliot Parker, and his books, visit his website at www.elliotparker.com. Stay tuned. More outstanding podcasts are coming your way next from the authors on the Air Global Radio Network. 